this morning. Hallelujah. God is good. And all the time. Ready? God is kind. And all the time. See, we can we can start something too going across the America, huh? He's good and he's kind. And he loves us. You may be seated. This morning I have the great privilege and pleasure. And kids are dismissed. Dead down to Children's Chapel. To have a dear friend of mine, brother, again come and preach the word this morning. Rob and I have grown as great friends and uh, pastor brothers. We met up at Moody at the pastor's conference. And, uh, and he didn't have a coat this morning, so he borrowed mine. And uh, doesn't it look cool? He's like, you're not doing this right now, are you? And uh, so anyhow, are you on? Uh, am I on? Am I on? You are on, but you're not on. Hello? Am I on? Oh, there hey. it is. All right, I just want to make sure. Pastor Rob comes from Canada. Grimsby, Canada. A little suburb hey. right out of Toronto. Hey. 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 We won't say amen here. We'll say hey. hey. And uh, so th- this morning, I'm just so encouraged to hear what God has laid on his heart. He, uh, you know, he wrote me and he said the first time he heard Reckless Love was when all of you ladies went to the conference and he heard it here for the first time. So he said, I would like to put together something for your church about that song and about what God has for this congregation. So with all that being said, I once again am very proud and very honored to have a dear friend of mine here at New Hope. So let's make him feel welcome and give him a New Hope warm welcome this morning. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, and it is awesome to be here. And if you think that that I have an accent and I sound funny, you got to go and talk to Sean after the service because uh, he's from the east coast of Canada, and we make fun of him. So you you got to hear him and the way he talks. But um, I just want to say thank you to uh, all of you. Um, I, I love this church, and uh, I love your pastor and his family. And uh, Pastor Todd's been a huge encouragement to me, and uh, we just have uh, built a relationship. We met as total strangers a number of years ago, and uh, that relationship has just grown and blossomed, and uh, we've just been getting to know each other more and more, and uh, just pour into each other's lives. And I want to thank you for pouring into your pastor and allowing him to go to a place like uh, Moody Bible Institute, to Pastors Conference, um, where not only... We can be encouraged, but we can also bring that back to our congregations and encourage the people that we minister to week after week. Also, want to say a big thank you to the men who were out yesterday morning. Had a wonderful, wonderful time at Panera, uh, hanging out with uh, some of you men, and uh, that was awesome. And uh, I love it when men can just gather together and be open and honest and real with one another. Because, you know, as Christian brothers, if we can't be real with each other, then then there's a problem. And uh, we need to be able to come together and then just be completely vulnerable and open with one another and real with each other and pray for one another. And uh, that's what I want to do this morning. Before I even jump in, I want to pray for us and our time together. So, so let me do that. Father in heaven, I just thank you for New Hope Akron. God, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you for their pastor, for the family. God, I just ask your blessing upon it. And God, we have 
come into this place and gathered in your name to worship you. And God, we need more of you and less of us. And uh, God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that my thoughts would be your thoughts and my words would be your words. God, I have absolutely nothing to say in and of myself. And so I just pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts this morning. God, you know every single one of us in this room. You know the hurts. You know the heartache. You know the struggles. God, you know every single thing about us. And in spite of everything you know about us, you continue to love us and pour your grace upon us. So we ask for that grace this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I was sitting this morning uh, going over my message, and in the background there was some music playing. And uh, one of the songs that was playing, I, I, heard, I heard the lyrics, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And, you know, sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, no, not me. Not me. But inside every single one of us, there's a part of us that is absolutely prone to just wander from him. Yeah, we know he loves us, but we still are prone to wander and prone to leave the God that we say and claim to love. We're going to dive into a, a very familiar passage for most of us this morning in Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to read it all for time's sake, but Pastor Todd alluded to that. And if you're not familiar with church or, or even with the Bible, Luke 15 is a passage where, where Jesus is basically asked this. He said, why, why do you hang out with bad people? In fact, at the beginning there, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Those are the bad people, in case you're wondering. Those are the, the not-so-good people. Those are the, the unchurched people, the, 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 the down-and-outers, you know, those who we would look at and be like, yeah, I ain't going near them. Okay, those people. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why, why do you hang out with bad people, Jesus? And so Jesus is going to tell them a parable, it says. He's going to actually tell them three short stories. And these stories here, they, they, they are in response to this complaint that's made against him. In other words, these three stories exist to explain to you and I why a perfect, holy, sinless, just God would hang out with sinners, with bad people. And I love the response of Jesus here. Because he gives us not one, but three short stories. The first one is about a shepherd. And he says this. He says, um, there, there's this guy who has a hundred sheep. And he realizes that one is missing. And so he leaves the 99 and goes looking for the one. What? See, see we become so familiar with the scripture sometimes that we just read these so, we don't even think about it. He leaves 99. Why? What, what for? And he goes searching for the one, and then he finds the one, and he throws a party. Now, I'm not very good at math. In fact, when I was in high school, I, I barely passed math. But what I do know is that 99 
is more than one. Okay, that much I know. No offense to the one, but if I had a hundred sheep and I lost one of them, I'd be okay with that. I would totally be okay with it. I would take great consolation in the 99. So what's Jesus trying to say here about God? He goes on to say, there, there's this lady, and this lady has, has a coin collection. She's got 10 beautiful coins. Antiques Roadshow appraised them, and they're awesome coins. I mean, I mean they're, they're worth a lot. And one day she's counting her coins and she realizes that one is gone. She lost one. She's got nine left. Nine's pretty close to ten, right? That's, that's not bad. But she goes looking for the one it says. And she doesn't just go looking. She gets crazy. She goes OCD on that house until she finds it. And the language in that verse literally means that she trashed the place. She wrecked the place in order to find the one coin. What's going on here? This seems a little weird, doesn't it? I mean, what's going on? What's he saying? And we go through these two stories here, and logically and mathematically, they don't really make sense to us. I mean, we read that and we're thinking, you know, these people just need to chill out. What's the big deal here? I mean, hey, you win some and you lose some, right? Count your blessings. You're still doing pretty good. But you have to remember, this isn't about some lady or some shepherd. This is about God and people. And let me share this with you. When it comes to people, God never plays it safe. And sometimes it makes no sense at all. I mean, who's protecting the 99? You're going to risk 99 for one? I mean, you're either the worst shepherd ever or the worst businessman ever. But God doesn't think the way that we do, right? Why do I hang out with people like that? Because they're of infinite value to me. Each and every one of them. I mean, this is how much... God values people. This is how much a person is worth to God. This, this is how much it doesn't make sense. In our eyes, it's reckless. It's insane. It's crazy. And most of us, if we're honest, we would say, you know what? That shepherd is wasting his time. He is wasting. That, that woman is wasting her time. There's no guarantee you'll even find the one. And in the meantime, you're risking the flock. What are you doing? But Christianity and our God, the maker of heaven and earth, is not like us. Why do you hang out with those people? Why do you hang out with bad people? Why do you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the third story many of us are familiar with. And this prodigal son, as he's referred to, he gets himself in a real pickle here. And the story is actually about two sons. But the younger one basically says, Dad, I, I want my inheritance now. I, I don't want to work for you anymore. I just want to take what is owed to me, and, and I want to get as far away from here as possible. I, I don't want to work for you. I, I don't want to live with you anymore. I just want my inheritance, and I'll be on my way. 
I'm old enough, I think I got everything figured out, and I just want to go my own way and do my own thing. Is that what you really want, son? Yeah, that's what I want, Dad. Okay. Okay. And so the father complies. And don't run through that too quickly either. The father complies. And he lets his son leave. He gives him what he asked for, and he lets him leave. But he never stops loving him. Never stops loving him. Never stops thinking about him. Never stops praying for him. He still goes out to the road every single day knowing that the best is yet to come still. That there is a future, that there is a hope. And you know, the best thing that any parent can ever do for their kids is to pray for them. And the son takes his inheritance and he moves away. And the story says he lived recklessly. He blew it all. He blew it all. You know what happens when we're prone to wander and we walk away and we think we know better than our father? We blow it every time. We blow it every single time. He blows everything. And notice, he chose that lifestyle. Nobody forced him to do it. That, that was his choice. He had the ability, just like you and I do, to make the right decision or to make the wrong decision. And he wastes it all. He sows his wild oats. He gets all crazy, does whatever he wants, and it's gone. Everything's gone. And he ends up in a literal pig pen. He, he has a job feeding pigs, the scripture says. That's his job now. And he's in that mud, and he's wallowing with the pigs, and it says he comes to his senses. And he's thinking to himself in this pig pen, you know, you know what is my life come to? What am I doing with my life? Where can I go? What, what can I do? Is there any hope for my life? And then he thought about possibly going back home to, to maybe, just maybe, the one place that, that might be open to him. The one place where people might be in his corner. The one place where they might be willing to give him a second chance. Now, if you're listening to Jesus tell the story back then, you are not on the side of the prodigal son, okay? You're not sitting there thinking, man, poor kid. Man, I hope, I hope he does the right thing now, and I, I, I hope he's looked after and everything. No, you're thinking someone needs to stop that young guy. You're thinking someone needs to slap him upside the head. What a disgrace to his family. I, I mean, what an insult to his father. I mean, somebody needs to stop him. And the prodigal is sitting in pig slop one day, and he comes to his senses. And he thinks to himself, and this is exactly how we'd think too. See, he figured, you know what? I can no longer go back to the family farm and just be who I was. But maybe I can go back and be an employee. But he could never be a son again, right? Because he had given up that right based on his actions, based on everything he'd done. 
And so he comes up with this plan, and he wants to go back, and he's going to ask his dad, just, just hire me, dad. Be, be my boss, dad. Not my father, just my boss. And make me one of your employees. And that's his plan, and he's got a great speech prepared, and it even says, you know what? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. My, my worth has diminished. I, I'm not good enough any longer to just, just hire me. And like many people today, he believes that worth is earned. And he blew it. He blew it. You know, I've lost the right. I'm no longer worthy to be a part of the family. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. So, so now maybe can you just make me an employee? And then I can earn some pay. I can work for my stay. I mean, the prodigal son wasn't even expecting to be forgiven. And remember, this story is about God and people. God and people. And I think one of the biggest challenges that people face today is this. To be open to the forgiveness that God extends to us. Because sometimes it seems like we want to prove you know, that, that even God can't forgive us. I mean, we, we've done too much, we've gone too far, and so on. And we're just like the prodigal son whenever we look for unconditional love anywhere other than God. And so the prodigal, he makes his way back home. And he's going home. And the father sees him from afar off. Why? Because he was watching for him. He was watching for him. And the father ran to him, it says. This is completely unheard of in Scripture. A father in that day would never run. But the father ran to him. And notice this. The father takes the initiative. He doesn't just stand still. He doesn't just wait for his son to come to him. When the father sees him from a distance, the father makes the first move and he runs to him. And notice this. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not disappointed, but the opposite. I mean, he is beyond excited. And he grabs his son and he hugs his son and he embraces his son and he kisses his son. And somewhere in the middle of that big embrace and that hug, he is squirming to get loose and he's trying to get his speech out. And if you read through it, the speech is never even acknowledged by the father. It's as if the father didn't even hear it. He's just so happy to have his son back. And then something ridiculous happens here in the story. The son, who took everything, wandered away, blew it all, and then came back, is rewarded. What else can you call it, really? And Jesus is telling this story. He's telling this parable to explain who he is. To explain and to show everyone listening how amazing God the Father's love really is. And so this father in the story, he calls for a huge celebration. And they're going to slaughter the fattened calf. And they're going to have a barbecue. And he says, give my son a robe. Put a ring on his finger. Give him some new shoes. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. We're going to party right now. 
And the Father challenges us to go the extra mile. To go above and beyond. To take the initiative and to run to those who are wandering. To run to those who are hurting, who are doubting, who are struggling. And right about this time in the story, those Pharisees and those tax collectors, they're standing there. And they're thinking, whoa, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I mean, the sheep and the coin, whatever. But the son, you gave him a ring? You gave him new shoes and you put it, no, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not right. That's not right. You want to know why God hangs out with those people? You want to know why God hangs out with sinners? You want to know? There's only one answer, and it's because of himself. Three lost things, one response. They search, they find, they recover, and they celebrate. You know why I'm hanging out with them? It's because I am who I am. Amazing grace. You see, worth is not earned. Salvation is not earned. It's only received. And that's where the problem is for most people in our world today. Because they can't get past the fact that that we can't earn it, only receive it. No, 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 wait, wait. It has to be earned. There's got to be something I can do. I got to do something. It's only logical, right? I mean, I mean, what can I? What do you mean? I just have to receive it. Come on, come on. Ephesians two eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift, a gift of God, not of works. So don't you claim one portion. Of this transformation or acceptance. It was him. It was only him. It was exclusively him. And it will always be him. That's the grace of God. God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he extends his grace to us. He he extends his worth to us. He extends his acceptance to us. Not because of us. But because of who he is. And he will do whatever it takes to rescue and recover those who he created. He's not willing that any should perish. But that all would repent and turn from themselves and turn to him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're at or where you've been. He can do what makes absolutely no sense in order to get you to himself. Your worth was given to you before you were ever born. And you never devalue. Ever. You're worth more than you could ever know. And God loves you more than you'll ever know. Your worth is not achieved. It's only received. And in Luke 15, verse 24, it says that they, they, they begin to celebrate. They immediately started to party. And, you know, that's what every Sunday should be like for us. I mean, think about it. We should be celebrating one another. Whenever people take a next step, we should celebrate. We should be getting excited about what God is doing in one another's lives. 
We should be excited when those who are far from God come home, come back to him. When those who have wandered return home, we should be excited. Listen, God is not afraid of the mess you think your life is. It doesn't matter the mess you you think you've made of your life. God is not afraid of that. The gospel is not clean and tidy, and it never has been. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, clean and tidy are not the words that you would use to describe it. The reality is this. How we feel towards those who are lost, how we feel towards those who are missing, who have wandered, those who are making a complete mess of their life, those who are not like us, those that we cringe at, How we feel about those people is a great indicator of what we truly think of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost. Jesus said elsewhere, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is an incredible story. When you just step back and look at it. And like I said, sometimes we get so familiar with the scriptures that that we just miss it. And we need to look at God's word with fresh eyes. This father is for his son regardless of what the son has done. Did you catch that? Regardless of where the son has been, regardless of what the son has said. There is the father looking, waiting, ready to move and to act for his son. I mean, what an amazing picture of compassion. And if you're a Christian, you know, think about your own life. I mean, Jesus opened his arms to you. He accepted you. He forgave you. And now he wants us to go out and do likewise. But as we all know, this isn't easy, is it? I mean, it's hard. It can be very, very difficult, Right? It's hard to welcome and embrace someone who has or is making a complete mess of their life, right? Let's be honest. I mean, it's hard when you don't approve of someone's lifestyle or choices that they're making in their life. And let's be honest, for so many of us, in those moments, we are more like the older brother in this story. Because he's been out working in the field all day. He's been doing what the father had asked him to do. And then he starts to wander back to the house. And as he gets closer, he hears some music playing. He gets a little closer and he hears some laughter. He hears a party. He smells some food. And he gets even closer and he sees people dancing. They're dancing. Keep in mind, Jesus is telling us this story to show us how unbelievable and mind-blowing God's love is towards us. And how that love responds to you and me and everyone else outside of these walls. The prodigal son comes home after taking his inheritance early and blowing it all on irresponsible living. He literally just got home. 
And the father gives him some new clothes, some new shoes, puts some bling on him. And now this wayward, rebellious, and wasteful son is busting moves on the dance floor. What's happening here? It doesn't make any sense. What's going on? And the older brother, he comes upon this completely absurd scene. And immediately he's thinking, just like all of us, this isn't right. Whoa, 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 what's going on? What's, what's he doing there? Why is he back? What's happening? That's not right, and this doesn't make sense. It's not right. And he's having an extremely hard time accepting his younger brother. He's struggling to have any compassion towards someone who has made a complete mess of their life, blowing the family fortune. And the younger brother who wasted his inheritance in blatant rebellion is on the dance floor doing the YMCA or the shuffle or whatever. What's the father thinking? What is the father thinking? There's no rebuking. There's no reprimanding. The father runs to his son who has wandered far from him. And as fast as he can, he gets him some new clothes and gets him up dancing. Listen. When you sin, when anyone sins, when you wander, when anyone wanders from God, And you turn around and you start wondering, man, does anybody love me? Does anybody care about me? Could God even forgive me after what I've done? And you feel so unworthy and you feel like you don't deserve it. In those moments, you don't need to be rebuked. You don't need to be reprimanded. You don't need to be slapped or spanked or told how stupid and dumb and ridiculous and worthless you are. You just want to know, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for me? And in that moment, God is waiting. He's watching and he's running towards you to not only tell you that there is hope, but to show you how much he loves you and always has. And to help you see that the most wonderful, powerful place you can be after you feel like you've blown it is on the dance floor enjoying God's amazing love. Because that love draws us in. That love helps us to see just how far we've wandered. And everything that we've been missing out on. This is such a powerful story. Because, listen, if you're a child, if my child, i got two very real girls, okay? If my child rebelled like this son did, you know how I would react? Probably the same way you would. Let's be honest. If I was a father here, I'd be like, you know what? Welcome back, kid. Turn the music up, maestro. Turn it up. Turn it up. Get me another plate of that barbecue. Bring it over here. But you, you go to your room. Go straight to your room. You're getting no barbecue. You can listen to the music from a distance. You can smell the barbecue from a distance. But you're not participating in any of this. 
You can hear the laughter. You can hear the celebrating. But there's no celebrating for you. You go to your room. Go straight. Don't even think about dancing. Go to your room. I want you to think about what you did with my money. With my money. I'm so glad that God is not like us. I mean, the Father is so unlike us. I mean, he is so good. He he is so loving. He is so forgiving, so merciful, so for us. This is amazing grace. And notice this older brother, he failed to realize that he already had access to everything the Father had. He could have all the calves and all the goats his little heart desired. He could have anything. Stop waiting for God to give you what's already yours. You have everything you need in Christ. See, the father just wanted both of his sons to know how loved they were and that he was and always will be for them. Do you understand today how much you're loved, how much you're accepted, how much you're cared for by God? See, some of us are too busy trying to to wiggle our way out of his arms and to give our little speeches to him and to try to pay him back and to earn his love and to earn his acceptance. You know, just like the prodigal son in the arms of the father. And he wanted to clarify and he wanted to talk and he wanted to express things. And he's like, you know, I know you're hugging me, Dad, but just listen, I'm sorry, I have to. And the father just kept hugging him, just kept hugging him, didn't want to let go of him. And, you know, it's interesting to watch children receive gifts. I mean, my kids love gifts, and we can learn a lot from watching children receive gifts. And it's very applicable to this story here, because whenever I've given a gift to my kids, they receive it gladly. Okay? My kids have never, not even one time, ever opened a gift from me and said, Wow, Dad, man, this is, this is great. Thank you. I'm going to pay you back someday. Thanks for the gift. In the summer, Dad, I'm going to sell some lemonade, and I'm going to pay you back for this. They don't think like that. That never comes in to their minds. But you see, we grow up, and we get spiritual. And we start to think, well, this is ridiculous. I need to earn this. I've got to pay this back somehow. I got to do something about it. I got to follow these these rules. And God says, listen, can you just be quiet and let me hold you? Yeah, but here's the deal. I'm not going to do those things anymore, God. I'm I'm so sorry for what I've done. And I promise I won't do it again. I'm going to work harder this time. And I'm going to be better. And I'm going to do you actually think. That your sin has shook me to the core as if I didn't know. But but God, I wasted so much and I promise I'm not going to go back to that and I'm never going to do that again. Do you actually think that what you've done has trumped what I did for you on the cross? 
Would you stop trying to fix yourself and improve yourself and better yourself and just let me hold you? But, but God, I want to do my part. Your part is letting go. Your part is just leaning into me. His grace and his love make no sense. And I'm okay with that. Are you? And as the great theologian Bill Withers once said, we all need somebody to lean on. See, it's about risking our comfort. It's about risking our preferences to see people come into the kingdom of God. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we're entrusted with. What's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? His arms are open wide. He's waiting for you to come to him and allow him to hold you and restore you and to heal you and to forgive you and to love you and to celebrate you. And some of you need to come into his arms this morning. Some of you need to have that Come to Jesus moment. And sometimes we're like, okay, God, okay, I, I get it. And, and I'm going to let you hug me in just a minute, but i got to do some things first. And I want to get some things right. And I'm going to work on this first. And, and then I'll come to you. But see, we have to understand that God's love is overwhelming. It's never ending. And it's totally reckless in our eyes. And we think, you know, God, I've wasted it all. And I've got nothing. I've got nothing in the tank. And God says, I know. I got it all. I got it all. I know. I have everything you need. And I will take care of you. God, God, how can I know? God, how can I know if I can really trust you to take care of me? I mean, how can I really know if I can trust you? I gave my son... To ensure this. He gave his life. For you. He shed his blood. For you. He died. In your place. To ensure that I could accept you. Eternally. Can it really be this good? I mean. I mean can it. Can it really be this good? No. No. The truth is, it's much better than anything that I could ever put into words. He's so much better. And I wish that I could do it justice. But let me tell you, he loves you more than you'll ever know. And I often wonder, how can God know me so well and still love me so much? And the answer is amazing grace. Amazing grace. And I'm so thankful for that this morning.
and I hope you are too. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your amazing grace. God, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. All we can do is receive it. And God, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've wandered from you today, you are there watching and waiting for us to come back with your arms open wide. God, open our eyes to your grace this morning. Open our eyes to your love afresh today. And God, help us to come to you where we belong in your arms. We pray this in Jesus' name.